Transforming care through genomic medicine, personalized therapeutics, health services and outcomes research, and innovations in healthcare delivery. We're Children's Mercy Kansas City, presenting our audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. Welcome to Transformational Pediatrics. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And our topic is the five most common pitfalls in diagnosis and treatment of group A streptococcal infection. My guest is Dr. Angela Myers. Dr. Myers is Division Director of Infectious Diseases, Pediatric Infectious Diseases Fellowship Program Director, and Medical Director of Travel Medicine with Children's Mercy Kansas City. Dr. Myers, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Mike. So in the title, we have five common pitfalls, and you list the first pitfall as uh, testing young children. Why is that a pitfall? Well, it's a pitfall for, for several reasons, but most importantly, um, young children rarely get strep throat. Um, a, a, younger, a child younger than three years of age who has, an older, who has an older sibling with strep throat and who has symptoms compatible with strep throat may, in fact, have strep throat. But the, but the majority of toddlers who have a sore throat have a viral cause for their sore throat. And when you test them and they have a positive result, the likelihood is that that result is actually um, colonization showing up. Uh, additionally, oh, that, yeah. rheumatic fever is and very that, rare in the young child, which is the most, which is right. the reason why we treat strep throat. Right, and so, so with testing the young child, that could lead to obviously o- o- maybe overtreatment or mistreatment. Um, uh, as you mentioned, in most cases, it's a viral syndrome. So, so let's move on to pitfall number two. You, you say that is testing those with nonspecific signs and symptoms. Why is that a pitfall? Well, it's a pitfall because between 15 and 20 um, percent of children in the winter and um, spring months of the year are colonized with strep throat in their throat. And again, if you test a child who doesn't have symptoms that are very specific for strep throat or they're consistent with strep throat, then the likelihood is that if you have a positive result, it represents colonization and not true infection. And like you mentioned before, then you're giving antibiotics unnecessarily. Right. And so, so when, so when it comes to, to testing, I think we'll get into this when we talk kind of like a, about an, an algorithm that, you, that, that you would like offices, like community um, offices to follow. So what, but when should, when does testing become appropriate then? I mean, what do you look for um, before you order those barrages of tests? So that's a, that's a really good question. So um, in general, children typically have fever and they have sore throat. So a child should not be tested if they do not have sore throat, um, which, which is often the case. In addition to the sore throat, they need to have a lack of viral symptoms, meaning that they don't have runny nose, they don't have congestion, they don't have prominent cough. And they should have at least one physical exam finding consistent with strep throat. So they should have a red throat or pus on the tonsils or tender um, cervical adenopathy. Oh, that indicate okay that this this patient likely has strep throat. So let's go on then to pitfall number three. You have that as testing those with viral respiratory tract symptoms, and that I think you kind of just hit on there a little bit, right? So we have viral symptoms, runny nose, that 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 dry hacky cough. Is that what we mean here? So we see those kind of viral s- 
symptoms and we end up testing for strep and that leads us down the wrong path, right? Correct. It does lead us down the wrong path. Remember that even though strep throat is a common disease, it really is um, only represents about 20% of all visits to primary care or to emergency rooms and urgent cares. It really is only about 20% of sore throat visits. So by so the overwhelming majority are still going to be viral causes, and that's why it makes it so important not to trust children who do not meet the criteria before before testing them. All right. Pitfall number four, repeat testing or use of serologic testing in asymptomatic previously treated children. Why is that a pitfall? Oftentimes, um, if repeat testing shows a positive result, then it it represents colonization and not typically failure, Um, you know, especially if the child is asymptomatic. Um, And and in in addition, we don't want to test asymptomatic children, um, let's say, of a sibling who has who has proven strep throat, which oftentimes happens, because again, that child may be colonized and and leads you down the wrong path of thinking that you need to treat something that that you do not. Yeah, so after treatment, after the course um, of antibiotics in this case, if they're asymptomatic, you just, uh, just, it's a a following game, right? You're just going to have them come back, you follow up. If they remain asymptomatic, you let it go. All right, pitfall number five, treatment with an inappropriate antimicrobial agent. What do you mean by inappropriate? So that's a really good question. There never has been any resistance reported um, for streptococcus pyogenes or group A strep against penicillin or amoxicillin. And those are the first-line agents to use in the setting of strep throat. But oftentimes we see children who receive a different drug, like ceftonir or cephalexin or even amoxiclav um, or yeah. amoxicillin clavulanate. And those are not um, first-line drugs to treat strep throat. People sometimes suffer under the, the wrong impression that the, the group A strep has become resistant, which does not, has not ever been seen. The other piece to this, which is, which is a little complicated, is that oftentimes parents believe their child to be penicillin allergic. The true rate of penicillin allergy among the population in our country is about 1%. And so most of the time when somebody believes themselves to be penicillin allergic, they're not. They they received amoxicillin or penicillin at some point in time in the past, and they had a rash with it. And oftentimes that rash really represented a viral exanthem and not actually an allergy to the medication. And so careful history of what that rash was and what really happened, what was the what were the events around the the treat the previous treatment, are, is really important to kind of be able to tease out the people with true allergy versus those who just had a rash that was not really allergy related. Right. Yeah. This is interesting to me because you know we we know how important you know the the correct diagnosis is the 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 right drug at the right dose for the right patient. Um, this seems this seems to be a great education or re-education uh, opportunity, right? Um, and I know Children's Mercy is a large hospital. Children's Mercy has a great influence on community doctors. Is there a a plan to outreach to community doctors and re-educate about strep A, true resistance, et cetera? I mean, is that something you guys are looking at? So I'm so glad you asked that. So we've already done that. 
we um, one of our one of my trainees, who's a fellow in infectious diseases, her her big project is working with three pediatric groups around town right now to improve their testing strategies and the treatment of children with um, strep throat. And um, it's wonderful. They, the practices have really welcomed us with open arms, and they've been open to um, some minor suggested changes to just improve the already excellent care they're giving. And um, we hope to see some um, improvements and some changes here in the next few months. In that, sa- in that same um, process, are you teaching the community physicians um, maybe like an algorithm uh, to follow when, when dealing with these types of symptoms in, in patients? Yes, in fact, we are. And there's two good algorithms you can, you can use. One is through the Infectious Disease Society of America, and um, they have developed a clinical practice guideline for strep pharyngitis, and the algorithm they use in that document is, is quite good. And then there's another one through the um, American Academy of Pediatrics. And Dr. Jackson and I have recently developed an EQIP module, which stands for um, QI in Pediatric Practices. And that algorithm is actually quite easy to use and, um, and um, good for pediatricians to kind of think about when they're when, um, diagnosing strep throat in their practices. And that will be available soon through the AEP this coming month. And, and, how, and how open are you finding the community physicians are to these al- algorithms? Um, are, are they open to these things? Are they, are they putting them into practice? Are you seeing some of the outcome um, from your efforts? Um, seen the outcomes from the efforts yet, but they have been very open to incorporating them into their practice and thinking of ways that will work for them. And every practice is a little bit different. And so I really um, encourage practices to think about that and how they can um, kind of implement things like this within their own practice. And, you know, for a lot of it is that they want us to help provide them with tools to talk with parents, to explain to the parent why a test may not be necessary, even though they've brought their child in for exactly that and, and and what the dangers are in overtesting. One of the challenges in, in, in primary medicine too, right, is is patients come in and they it's almost like they're expecting something to be done. They're expecting a certain lab to be done, expecting a certain prescription to, to be to be written. And sometimes it's just managing those patient and parent expectations, right? Exactly. Yeah, Dr. Myers, thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, it's great work, and I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics with Children's Mercy, Kansas City. For more information, you can go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. Thanks for listening.